morning and welcome to the Bell Podcast. This is Marcy Timmerman, Executive Director of Mental Health America of Kentucky and your host today. And I have a wonderful person that a lot of you may recognize um, the name of. Her name is Kate Osborne. She is Katie Osaurus on TikTok and several other platforms she has uh, where she is really talks about all kinds of things, including ADHD. She's also a sex therapist. Is that correct? Uh, uh, certified sex educator. She's certified sex educator. So lots of cool things that she has in her in her toolbox. And I'm so glad that you have joined us today. Thank you so much, Kate. Thank you so much for having me. Also, just really quick, I've always wanted to do this and I'm never going to be a musician. So here I go. Ready? Hello, Kentucky. <laughs> I feel pretty good about that. Thank you. That's great. No problem at all. That's it's great. a must have, right? Okay. We can end the podcast <laughs> now. That's it. That's all I came for. <laughs> I love it. That's why you took it. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I guess first question is like, what is ADHD? Can you help us explain that? Because I feel like the question is pretty big, right? And the definitions are changing constantly right now. Is it is. Um, <laughs> gosh. So it really depends on who you ask. Like if you heard me subtly typing in the background, it's because I always get really nervous when people ask me the basics because I'm like, oh, I'm just going to be wrong. Um, but no, so ADHD is basically uh, defined right now as a neurodevelopmental condition that affects uh, attention, hyperactivity, sometimes impulsiveness, um, and basically uh, dramatically affects your executive functions. And your executive functions are, of course, the things that your brain uses to sort of uh, direct traffic and get through the day. So things like task organization, task management, time, um, planning, preparation, that kind of stuff. But then also there's a emotional uh, regulation component to it as well. Um, so it's, it's very complex. Um, and I think that for a really long time, people have uh, sort of categorized it as this very like hyperactivity thing, like, oh, it's just this kid messing around in the back of the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be what ADHD looks like, but ADHD can also be a lot different and look very, very different than that. You know, one of the reasons why I do this work is because I was incredibly academically uh, gifted and I was really good at school and I loved it. Uh, and then it turns out that the reason why I was struggling with all of the other stuff on the back end was because ADHD. So there you go. That answer exactly makes sense in man. my head, but yeah. here we are. <laughs> I like it. And an off the cuff is exactly fine. You're not trying to be a, a psychologist, psychiatrist, et cetera, I'm with the DSM. Not, I'm you, just so. a nerd on the internet who got mad about my brain. So that's <laughs> how we're here. <laughs> I could appreciate that though, but MHA really values lived experience. So I want to bring that to the forefront as well. So oh, I love that. Yes, solidarity friend. Uh, so. Executive function is not exactly my strength as well. Most of our audience will know I have an autoimmune disease that causes brain fog. So where's the line between brain fog and ADHD is one of my personal nerd areas. And I'm finding it's not much. There's yeah, not much there's, of a it, line. Is a, it is a fine, <laughs> fine line. Pretty much <laughs> kind of presents itself at the same way. So when we talk about executive functioning, folks, we are talking about kind of the basic things of life. Organization, managing time. Time blindness is one of my favorite things that you talk about, um, because I feel like everyone has it at some point in their life, but no one really recognizes what it's like to live with it. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to go into that for a second? Yeah. Well, it's really interesting that you you started with this because so last night I was talking about just my experience of being in school. 
Um, and I was talking about the fact that I would get straight A's, right? I would get straight mm -hmm. A's all the time. And I was really proud of that. And so I invested all of my time and my energy and sort of like my self-worth uh, into getting really good grades. But at the same time, executive functioning was the thing that I struggled with. Like looking back at my academic journey, I would struggle with things like I, all of my notes for English would be spread across seven different notebooks. You know, um, I would never know where I had put the worksheet. Like, you know, so I, so I developed these like very weird kind of systems in order to do that. And that, and looking back now that I understand, it's like, that was executive functioning is that mm -hmm. I was getting the grades because I understood the material, but what was prohibitive to me was the, the situations in which my executive functioning needed to sort of click on to get through the project. So things like, task organization, prioritization, management, that kind of thing, I would always wait. I would always wait until the night before the project was due, right? Because I just couldn't get started. I needed to have mm -hmm. some kind of pressure, you know, like that kind of thing, you know, and similarly like time blindness, just in and of itself, time perception, they've actually done quite a bit of study on, on time perception and time blindness. Um, and they find that people with ADHD in particular have a really unique experience in that we have an exceptionally difficult time, both predicting how much time is something going to take and then also telling how much time has passed when we're doing the thing that we didn't know how much time it was going to take which sounds whimsical right it <laughs> yeah. sounds whimsical it's it's like oh you know like oh my quirky ADHD friend is always running five minutes late but for a lot of people with ADHD we see that showing up in really interesting ways like um did you know that people with ADHD have a higher rate of UTIs because we forget to go to the bathroom because we don't realize how much time has passed since we went to the bathroom last and we have more UTIs. And it's, it's not strong enough urge to to override the hyperfixation. That yeah, actually makes exactly. sense. Yeah. Well, and then you and then you pair that in with a lot of people with ADHD um also deal with like interoception, which is interpreting your body sort of interior signals of being hungry, being thirsty, needing to go to the bathroom. Am I hot? Am I cold? Whatever. Um, when you sort of start getting into that, you're like, how do we live <laughs> differently differently differently, is the answer. differently. <laughs> and thank god in community in a lot of places <laughs> i speak for myself there right <laughs> no that's excellent and thanks for going there um it's it's not easy to have that executive function especially when you see other people who have it easy and i think for people who don't understand it that's really like it's the hardest thing for them to grasp. Like, I yeah. just know what's important. And I'm like, I don't, I don't have ADHD, but I don't know what's important. Like I'm terrible at prioritizing. So yeah, <laughs> it's like, and I do think that there's a lot of people who see themselves in your content, even if they don't have the diagnosis. And I think that's, what's great about TikTok. Um, the, the, the growth of this space in TikTok is that, you know, people are seeing themselves and realizing they're not alone. Yeah. Have you really experienced that as well as a creator, as someone who really makes that space? Do you get that sense of community too from it? Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been so, so honored by by just the community that has has grown up like around my content. Um, because like for a really long time, like I started making content because I really did think I was the only one. I really did think like, oh, I was the only person. And then I just kept hearing over and over again, I thought I was the only one or like, I thought I was the only person who did this, that, or the other thing. Um, and the, and the sort of 
reaction and, and the reception to my content was so profound um, because I, I currently am one of the only people who really specifically talks about ADHD and its impact on like sex and sexuality and intimacy and relationships and that kind of stuff. Um, and it, it just turned out there was like a need, there was a need for it. There was a need for a community where we were able to sort of like have these conversations. And, and I just really feel like a lot of times I was just sort of in the, in the right place at the right time, um, being an elder millennial on TikTok during the pandemic, um, because I think the pandemic was one of the big catalysts to a lot of people realizing that they are neurodivergent. Yes, I guess is my answer. Boy, I really thought I was going to pull this podcast interview off today with the sinus infection, but like, I just, I can hear, I, I can feel the thoughts just struggling to get through. This is where we're doing, we're doing a great job. This today. is why we have an excellent editor and do not worry. You're not struggling at all. You answered the um, question. Well. Hello editor. I'm so sorry for everything. Thank <laughs> Joanne, you for your we love work. You. <laughs> Joanne, we love you. So I think probably a follow-up question to that one would be, you're right. I think uh, that TikToks and, uh, and elder millennials, especially um, those of us recognized ourselves in this content and we're like, wait a minute, yeah, did I get diagnosed or not? And I think that's an interesting conversation to have too. Um, do you value diagnosis in what you see, or do you think that it's more of a, Hey, we can find adaptation. I find lots <sighs> of different creators with different opinions. So. Yeah. They're all I mean, welcome. I, I, I honestly think it's a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, right? Because first off, we, I mean, we really have to approach the this reality that for a lot of people, diagnosis is an unobtainable privilege. Um, you know, the state of mental health care in our country is such that a lot of people lack basic access to things like just a diagnosis, just having a word to under to Google, just knowing the right word to Google so they can better understand their brains. Like they don't, they don't have that. And that is in my opinion, just not okay. She said controversially. Um, no, we do mental health literacy for a reason. Yeah. yeah that's a lot of I mean? what like, I just, is. I do. I mean, I think it's just, I think it's just, it's awful, but anyway, so that's like the sort of first component, but then you get to the second component, which is that there's no ADHD pie. There's no like autism pie. And one of the sort of complaints that I hear from people all the time is like, oh, well, people are going on TikTok and they're diagnosing themselves with autism or they're diagnosing themselves with ADHD. And I'm like, okay, we're not going to run out. Right. Like, it's not you know? going to run out and, and it may and, not be a bad thing. Right. You know, and there's part of me that's like, okay, well, you know, like, and then you have to sort of like walk that like razor's edge of like, well, maybe they're wrong. Maybe they're dealing with something else. But, but the real reality is that most of the content surrounding ADHD and neurodivergency as a whole on, on social media is about coping mechanisms. It's about strategies. It's about tools. It's about life hacks. And so I sort of look at it and I say, you know, if a person who is, living with, you know, maybe OCD and not ADHD, but they can look the same in, in certain individuals, you know, if that person feels better, if they feel more empowered, if they feel like, okay, I I'm able to navigate through the day a little bit easily because a little more easily because of the information I learned from an ADHD TikTok, like it doesn't discount their own reality. It doesn't discount like what they actually have. And in a lot of cases, what we actually see is that somebody might start off with, oh, I think I have ADHD because I'm noticing X, Y, and Z symptoms. And then they go and to get a diagnosis and they find out, oh no, it's actually anxiety or it's actually depression or it's actually this, that, or the other thing. And I think that's a really important thing to highlight. 
because the thing that I always say is, you know, like right now I literally have a sinus infection. I have had a science a sinus infection before. Um, I know what a science, oh, I keep saying science. I don't know why a sinus <laughs> infection feels like in my body. I've had that experience. And so after this podcast, I'm going to go to urgent care and I'm going to say, I think I have a sinus infection and they're going to check off a list and they say, are you experiencing this, that, and the other thing? Here's some antibiotics. My sinus infection doesn't magically become real when the doctor at the at the urgent care says, yes, you have a sinus infection. It just means that now my medical team is on the same page with me and we know how to move forward. Um, and that's kind of how I see diagnosis. Like a lot of people, I think, equate diagnosis with having like it's required to get medicated or, mm -hmm. or only people who are quote unquote drug seeking go in for a diagnosis. And that's not true. Like a lot of times people just want that confirmation so they can sort of proceed into the world with better informed and, and, you know, better able to communicate with their medical team. Um, and so, yeah, so I think like there's, there's a lot of nuances to it, you know, like your ADHD doesn't become real when a doctor says, yes, I think you have ADHD, but also, you know, don't steal your brother's medication because you think you have ADHD. Like, you know, there's yeah, like, there's, there's a, there's a there's... clear ethical line there. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You, you don't have to be on that... services. I'm sorry, unless you have, you know, a, a medical. Yeah, medication, ex exactly. Its own problem in some places, but yeah. I, because of that privilege piece again, right? Exactly. But <laughs> I totally agree with you and definitely support that, you know? Um, and that's what my answer when folks ask about overdiagnosis of anything is I'm like, they probably existed. We just didn't have labels and didn't have a way, or they didn't know they could get help or they didn't realize they were different. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and a, a, another one that I see a lot is, is uh, generational trauma of you know because ADHD and autism are tend to be very hereditary and so then it's like okay well I grew up with parents who act this way I'm telling my parents there's something wrong my parents are saying oh no everybody does that because in their worldview in their experience everybody does do that but that doesn't mean that it isn't absolutely neurodivergent and there's supports and and systems available to make life a little simpler and a little easier. Mm -hmm. um, and so honestly, it's so funny to me how many parents will come to me saying, I found your content for my kid who has ADHD. And then I realized watching your content that I also have ADHD. Um, and so that happens a lot too. And so I think that a lot of times like that sort of diagnostic process can be such a powerful tool, but I also really just, I, I, don't think that you need a formal diagnosis to benefit from systems and structures from like like a, a one that I use a lot is like hoarding. I am not a hoarder. Um, there is a, a strong connection between ADHD and hoarding. Mm -hmm. um, and I notice some of those tendencies. And so like I've gotten a lot out of videos about like hoarding and like hoarding strategies and like how to like organize your house and how to like declutter. Um, but that doesn't, you know what I mean? So it's like that yeah. sort of like community benefit of like, we're having these conversations, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's like, oh, you have to have this diagnosis to like learn a way to fold your laundry. Like we're not, <laughs> we're not here to 
gatekeep laundry. You know what I mean? Everyone who sees Marie Kondo doesn't have necessarily a hoarding problem. That's very true. true. Well, Marie Kondo, like she's, that's really interesting. That's really (laughs) interesting that you bring up Marie Kondo because very, very sort of famously, very recently Marie Kondo came out and she said, after I had kids, I kind of gave up a little bit. Like after I, I had kids, I sort of like, you know, and I was like, and everybody freaked out about that. But I was looking at that and I was going, no, that's exactly the type of resource that like the neurodivergent community needs. As your life changes, your your need for systems is going to change. Yeah. Your need for supports are going to change. Like mm-hmm. the way that you're navigating life as a single mom being a, you know, rock star interior designer and declutterer is going to be very different than a mom with three kids. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just different. And so I loved that that came up recently because it, it just proved the point of like, yeah, yeah, you don't have to use this if you don't need it. But even the person using it is developing new systems and structures. And I just got really excited about it. I was so proud of Marie Kondo. Me too. I was too. I was like, so brave of you, but it's good. Like that is exactly, yeah, exactly. You're right. That's exactly what the world is seeing. And her point of it's still joyous. Like she's still she's not letting her house go so far that she doesn't have joy yeah that's exactly. where i always feel like the clutter conversation ends up in our house it's like mm, i am not are we okay here or are we not okay here? is the, right? is the clutter making you angry or not right right but exactly anyway, you know me and my clutter habits and my husband is an engineer who likes everything clean and modern and just yeah so mm. anyway my drama <laughs> sorry honey you made it into a podcast again All right. So something our audience may not be as familiar with, a term that you have used in several of your pieces of content um, is rejection sensitivity and really how that kind of works with, you know, intimacy. And now we're not talking necessarily relationship intimacy, but just intimacy with other human beings and really kind of general. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So rejection sensitivity is fascinating. Um, And it's sort of, I don't want to say it's like a hot button issue, but it's certainly one that gets a lot of sort of play in the ADHD community. Um, Because first off, I'll explain what it is. And then I need to talk about like a little bit of context. But so basically rejection sensitivity, you might have also heard it called um, rejection sensitivity dysphoria. Some people, there's a couple of different names for it. Um, But basically rejection sensitivity is a phenomenon that a lot of neurodivergent people, especially people with ADHD have in which their emotional reaction to rejection real, and this is very important, or perceived is extremely strong. And the way that I always sort of like to illustrate it is so like, imagine you get a text from your boss and the text message just says, we need to talk on Thursday and today is Tuesday. Now for a person who does not live with rejection sensitivity, they might get that text and go, oh, okay, and you just, my boss needs to talk to me. Like, great. And maybe there's a little nervousness, maybe there's a little trepidation, but it's not going to like completely ruin your day. Right. Whereas for a person who lives with rejection sensitivity, that can, that just the simple act of getting a text message, like we need to talk on Thursday can send you into just a gut punch spiral of I'm getting fired. I'm terrible at my job. I screwed something up. Everything I've ever done is bad and wrong. My boss secretly hates me and on and on and on to the point where when you actually get to the meeting, you are so keyed up, right? You're so just, Oh God, what's going to happen. And then your boss is like, Hey, I just want to let you know, you're doing a great job and we're going to give you a raise. And you're like, what? Right. You spent two days panicking. Um, and a lot of people say, Oh, that's ridiculous. Oh, that's, 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 that's bananas. Like, right. That is a re a very, very real phenomenon. 
Well, now imagine that it's your husband or your partner or, you know, just literally anything ever. That's rejection sensitivity. So now the secondary component is that uh, right now, again, there's like a lot of really interesting debate going on about whether or not rejection sensitivity is a like actual symptom, like an, like an actual measurable symptom of things like ADHD and to a certain extent autism. But a lot of people, and I'm sort of in this camp, so I'm going to be very transparent about like what side of the line I'm on, is that think of rejection sensitivity like this. Uh, we're, I'm just going to keep talking about sinus infections, I guess. I'm so sorry. But so if you go to the doctor and you say, hey, I have a stuffy nose and a headache and, you know, my sinuses feel like they're on fire and I have a sore throat, your doctor will, you know, listen to that and they'll say, okay, well, looking at those symptoms, a sinus infection. Huzzah, we've named the problem. Um, that's kind of what rejection sensitivity is. In in reality, rejection sensitivity is a name for a trauma experience, a traumatizing experience that many people with ADHD have had. It's a collection of trauma symptoms. It's not that we're all born with this like sensitivity, as far as we understand, because there are some people who think that we're just born with it. Um, but as far as we currently sort of scientifically understand, it happens because of what happens as living as neurodivergent people in a world that is not built for us. We're constantly, we're told that we're doing things wrong and we're being too excited. And, you know, we need to just focus on the lesson and we need to just sit still and like, why are you tapping your leg and why are you tapping your pencil and on and on and on. Um, and then you start sort of measuring that, that sort of lived experience with the research that being is being done, um, where we see that kids with ADHD receive I think tens of thousands more negative messages about themselves by the time uh, that they are like 15 or 16 than kids without ADHD. Tens of thousands more negative messages. Kids with ADHD have like measurably lower self-esteem. They struggle with interpersonal relationships. They struggle with bullying. They struggle with a lot of stuff that all sort of like is foundationally built in sometimes the feeling of being rejected or doing it wrong or why you know, why can I, can I not keep my homework organized? Why do I lack these basic life skills that everybody else around me has? And then you start to internalize that and you start to slowly over time, maybe believe it, maybe believe that you are a screw up. Maybe you do believe that you're a failure. Maybe you do believe that deep down, you know, everybody else got the memo on how to be an adult and you never did. And so, yeah, like rejection sensitivity isn't just like this, you know, a lot of times, when I talk about it, I get so many comments of people being like, oh, you know, they're just being overdramatic or you're just, you know, you're exaggerating or whatever. But I'm like, no, like for a lot of people who live with this kind of like ongoing trauma, this ongoing lack of support, this ongoing lack of the structures and tools that they need, and even like the lack of knowledge about what is going on with them. I didn't know that I had ADHD until the day before my 30th birthday. That was when I got diagnosed. So imagine growing up for 30 years, not knowing that I had ADHD and watching everybody else around me. You know what I mean? Like, of course, of course, I'm I'm looking constantly for signs and symbols that I'm doing something bad and I'm doing something wrong. Like that's like it makes perfect sense. Like if you really break it down, I think. And spoilers, <clears throat> that impacts relationships. End of rant. Thank you. Yeah. No, it's good <laughs> because it's a good point too that, you know, a lot of people who may have been in abusive families and homes and situations 
also probably have some of that. And so it's not just ADHD, right? It's a little bit of everything. It's a symptom again, or a situation yeah. uh, that we face ourselves with that we now have a label for. And I love yeah. that we are building a better mental health language. I think the explosion of interest in mental health topics over COVID seems to have grown the language and, and brought some of these more scientific terms to actual people's like understanding in a way. Yeah. Well, and it's really interesting too, because rejection sensitivity, and again, I always like to be as transparent as I can, like there's sort of one person who, who made it up as like a term, right? Like it's not a collective thing, but it was one where like, it sort of got introduced into the community and everybody went, yeah, that, that scans. But what's interesting is that the research on it is that, um, currently I think the number is 99, 99% of people with ADHD struggle with rejection sensitivity. And, you know, and a lot of times it's like, okay, well, if I, we present sort of the, the, the checklist of like, do you experience these things? People are like, yeah, but then if you, you know, rejection sensitivity. So is it a symptom? <sighs> Who knows? It is, could be just a lifelong accumulation. It's absolutely fascinating to me. And so like, yeah, the more that they study it, I'm really curious to see sort of like where the research goes, because like, I, I do think at the, at the end of the day, it very much is just a, it's symptomatic of living in a society that is not really built for brains you know like ours mm -hmm. um but yeah I don't it's just so interesting wonder we'll have to look up later some BIPOC and other relationships and see how those are functioning we're both white women to be honest on folks who are just yes. turning into the podcast don't know either of us so we don't have that lived experience to pull from so um, but I'll definitely be looking at kind of where those parallels might happen just by being black in a, in a mostly white society, things like that. So um, that's fascinating research yeah, to absolutely. follow. We'll have to follow that up as life goes on, right? And as things yeah. get better, because that would be a hard one to quantify just from their day-to-day -day experiences too. So. so we also talked a little bit earlier about um, the executive functioning and stuff like that and, and emotional regulation issues came up and mm -hmm. kind of what are some basic emotional regulations? Like what, what do you mean by that? I'm not sure that everyone knows what the, the term means or um, kind of what some examples of what that might be. Of, sorry, of executive functioning? Or, oh, I'm sorry, um, of emotional like deregulation related to ADHD. So um, you talked about some problems with it regulating. Sorry. Oh, sure. Terrible yeah. Question. No, no, no. It's okay. Terrible I was question. like, I was, I was so like so, ready to talk about executive functions, but then that was my brain was just trying to trick me into just saying that. No, um, it's all good. No. That was my, my, <laughs> I totally see where it came from. So emotional regulation is, I mean, it is exactly that is the ability to, to manage and process, um, your emotions, which is part of executive functioning. Um, and so for a lot of people with ADHD, we see them feeling largely is kind of like how I would say it, right? Like we tend to feel things very strongly and there's like an immediate, oh my gosh, I'm feeling this thing and I'm very happy or I'm very upset or very whatever. But one of the sort of more difficult experiences to sort of explain and quantify is that that big feeling lasts for as long as our brain holds on to that information and then we tend to let it go right so there's a lot of really interesting conversation when we talk about emotional regulation in people with ADHD in that it's entirely possible like um 
grief is a really good example where you might have that initial like oh no like your loved one died you have that initial gut punch but then as you're sort of navigating through your day your brain isn't thinking about it your brain isn't processing that grief in the same way that somebody who is able to sort of more regulate their attention regulate their emotions might do and so then out of nowhere it hits you again right and then you're at the grocery store you remember something like oh no um you know and i talk a lot about suddenly remembering that my dad is dead which which got me like a lot of like negative push right they're like it's not funny i'm like i'm not saying it's funny but i'm saying that that's my lived experience is like i constantly remember suddenly that i no longer have a father and so you can imagine how how things like emotional regulation how regulating your emotions when you're also talking about your ability to hold that information just hold on to that information in your head that's also part of adhd working memory is another executive function so you know remembering all of a sudden that like, oh, I don't actually have to buy a Christmas present for my dad because he died 10 years ago. You can imagine, right, how all of that kind of adds up. And so so that's what we talk about. When we talk about emotional regulation, you're not just really emotion uh, regulating that emotion in the moment. We're also talking about how you're moving through the entire day. And for a lot of people with ADHD, that can be really, really tough. And then on like, and it's one of those things too, where you start pulling the sweater and you start really start deconstructing. And then you realize like, it's all connected and you like Charlie and always sunny. But then you also start talking about things like impulse control and how, if I'm a person who struggles with emotional regulation, so I'm feeling things really big and I'm feeling things really strongly and I'm feeling really things really in the moment. Um, but I also lack impulse control. I also struggle with uh, speaking before I think and I am hyperactive, so I'm going to just sort of do the thing that comes to mind without any sort of internal control. You can imagine how that might negatively impact your relationships if you are a person who deals with rejection sensitivity, if you're a person who struggles with relating to people, right, and you're you're trying not to be hurt, you might say something really, really crappy to somebody before your brain even has time to catch up and then you have to live with those repercussions and then the cycle starts all over it's huge it's a huge thing it's not just struggling to get your homework done yeah and, and it's so, not just having messy piles everywhere yeah I exactly. some people seem to think that that's that's the only thing i'm like no. yeah um you know and or shaking then, oh, your foot or whatever like you said earlier <laughs> tapping your foot tapping exactly your right mm -hmm. And I'm also, I'm so sorry I keep speaking over you. I just get really excited. And so, yeah. And so like, it's one of those things where I think as a whole, and this is maybe a, a hot take to say on the record, but I think as a whole, like the ADHD community has really been underserved in terms of the profundity of how ADHD can affect your mental health. Um, and that's just talking about ADHD, right? That's not talking about the fact that most people, like 80% of people with ADHD live with another mental illness or comorbidity, especially things like depression and anxiety and sleep disorders. And then to a smaller extent, things like sexual disappointments and dysfunctions, things like issues with addiction, especially alcoholism and binge eating are, are really big. Eating disorders are very prevalent in people with ADHD. Um, and all of that has to do with executive functioning. And I think the more that we break it down to how the executive functions all sort of interact with each other, you start realizing that this is a holistic disorder. This is not just a, a you know, like you said, it's not just a, a messy piles. It's not just a remembering to get your homework done. It's a, this is a disorder 
that impacts every single moment of every single day, how we navigate the world, how we see the world, how we process the world, how we feel about the world. And I think that's really, really important for people to understand, um, especially when it comes to supporting the people in their life with ADHD. That was where I was going to go next, actually, is how do I support them? How do we help them? How do we, what supports are out there for folks who have ADHD? I mean, there's so many, there's so many fantastic resources. Um, I mean, right now there's a lot of really good, like just organizations, like educational organizations that are coming up. Um, Chad, um, uh, C-H-A-D-D. Um, Chad is really great. Similarly, understood.org is a fantastic resource, especially for families of, of uh, kids with ADHD. The uh, ADHD or Attitude Magazine, that's another one where like, and I will say, I will say on the record, sometimes some of their articles are like, I would maybe like a little smushy do a little research. Yeah, but generally um, speaking. But like, you know, <laughs> it's a repository of information, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, And so, yeah, so there's, I mean, there's so many organizations that are doing fantastic work. Um, But then on top of that, we're also in, frankly, just, I, I don't want to say like a ADHD renaissance, because that sounds silly, but we are in a period of time where ADHD and just neurodivergence as a whole are really being researched in a way that is much more representative of of voices and communities that we haven't heard before like we're learning a lot more about what neurodivergence looks in uh, and how it impacts like the BIPOC community we're learning more about how it impacts you know trans voices and and the trans experience and like that kind of thing I feel like people who love someone with a neurodivergence oh, this is the spiciest hot take I'm ever going to drop ever, but I'm going to do it for you, Marcy, is that I really think if you love somebody, if you if you care about somebody with neurodivergence, you have an obligation to, to learn about it. You have an obligation to try and understand it, you know? And I'm not saying that you have to become an expert. I'm not saying that you have to like, you know, suddenly become, you know, me overnight. But like, I, I really feel like the bare minimum is 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 just looking it up and saying, hey, what is executive function? Because I hear from so many people who who say, oh, I love my ADHD partner. I want to support them. And then I say, okay, well, like, have you guys had a conversation about like the, their, their strengths and weaknesses in executive functioning? They come back and they say, well, what's, a, what's executive functioning? And I say, ha ha there, let's start there. Right. Um, so just Googling that can help. Just give it a give it a give it an Googling, old Googling, but making sure those are decent sources yeah. you're pulling give it, from, give it the, from old the Google, Google search, you know? Yes. Um, yeah, and right. some resources from us at mhanational.org and our mhascreening.org yeah. is where the free screening is. Um, that yeah. is the diagnostic checklist, essentially, yep. so that we have now. And as those things evolve and change, we keep them up to date. Um, and then folks are not left on their own when they take our screenings. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah, they have like follow-up DIY tips and articles. And then also oh, they get awesome. in Kentucky, my name, because referrals are just not something that we do. I help you figure out your insurance and where to go and things like that. So that's, I'm so proud of you for doing that work. That's incredible. That's MHA amazing. National that you do that. has done a lot of work on that systems to care thing. That that's so cool. So it's a lot of free screenings and it also has those depression and anxiety screenings. Take more than one. There's no limit to how many you take them. There's no limit to how many you take in a day. Some people have done it three times a day just to see if they're stronger or weaker on certain days, I don't care. Y'all take them, you know, they don't hurt us in any way. <laughs> so, and if folks are wanting to test them out, um, just put test in the zip code. We throw out the data. So we know that you're not like literally sitting here with 10 
you know, 10 screenings of <laughs> psychosis in one little county will worry me a little, right? About that county. I'm probably going to start <laughs> talking about psychosis in that county. So uh, that's the only data we ask folks for is like their location by zip code if they're willing to give it, but you don't have to be willing to give any of that to take the screening. You can be completely anonymous if you want to be. That's amazing. That. Yeah. Um, one of our many resources. So I love <laughs> and it. Chad love magazine. So she mentioned or ad magazine. She mentioned was ADD magazine and we'll throw that in the links. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, also myself, I always forget oh, yeah. that I, I count. You can, I was count, gonna you say, can check Kate's, out my stuff. Counts are want. great. So <laughs> I didn't realize though, I have one more thing that I want to say about okay. how to support your partner. Um, and this is going to sound, maybe this is going to, this is going to sound a little cheesy. This is going to sound a little, a little emotional, but I really think the the biggest gift that you can give to a loved one with a neurodivergent, whatever that neurodivergence may be, because I do want to stress, we often use the term neurodivergent and when we're talking about ADHD and or autism, because that's like a really common sort of combo platter. Um, but the neurodivergent umbrella is so much wider than that. It's so much broader. There's so many other things that fall under that neurodivergent umbrella but regardless of what diagnos- like what diagnosis you have, of, of what specific set of symptoms you're dealing with, the unifying factor in the best way to support someone with a neurodivergence is, is compassion. It is compassion and it is patience and it is understanding. And it's learning how to ask the right questions, right? Because why don't you just try harder? Why don't you just apply yourself? You know, here's a planner assuredly that will help you manage your ADHD. Those things don't help. You know, well, you can sit and you can play video games for eight hours. Why can't you get your homework done? Well, those are two very different tasks, mom. Like those are two very different tasks that hold my attention in two very different ways. And one is easy and interesting and exciting. And one is a a physical struggle for me to get off the couch to do. And so being willing to listen and being willing to hear and being really to really delve into the why that your loved one is experiencing, how they're experiencing, what are their fears, what are their trepidations. And then also we talk so much about ADHD as a as a deficit, as this thing that you have to deal with and and get over and work around. And I'm very guilty of that. Um, but the truth is that people with ADHD also have extraordinary strengths. We are very, very good at a lot of stuff. And like things like being really interested and being really passionate and being really creative and being able to like recognize different sort of like patterns and how they all fit together. Like those are real skills that people with ADHD bring to the table. And so recognizing that my strengths might not look like your strengths. I'm always going to struggle with clutter. I'm always going to struggle with organization. I'm always going to struggle with remembering to text people back. That is how my brain is built. It is how I was made. It is how my brain functions. I cannot do anything to change that, but I can ask for support. I can implement skills and tools that I can use to help me remember to text people back. But at the end of the day, I'm good at what I'm good at and I'm bad with what I'm not. So let's find a way to work together. Let's find a way to support me as I am without your expecting me to be somebody that I'm not. And if you can offer the neurodivergent people in your life that kind of compassion and that kind of understanding, I feel like that can go such a long way to mitigating the impact of things like rejection sensitivity, right? Sometimes like I wonder what it would have been like to grow up in a in an environment where instead of having to constantly fight against my brain, it was celebrated and it and you know, 
I was able to sort of just navigate the way that I needed to without having to feel like I had to fit myself into a box that did not make sense for me and did not was not right for me. Um, and I think that that's a gift that we can give kids who are growing up right now is we we know better. We understand more. We can look at the science. We can look at the research. We can look at studies and we can do better. We can we mm-hmm. can give those kids a better time than we had. And I think that's really important. Yeah. No better, do better. That's exactly one of our big things that we talk about. So that's amazing. I actually think that's a great note to end on. Thank you for all the time that you've spent with us. I, I know that it's been a hard day, especially with all of our cognitive and, th- and physical issues today. So thank <laughs> you. Crushing it. <laughs> thank you so cool. much for having me. This was delightful. It was great to have you. Um, do you want to go ahead and plug your links as well? Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> so as Marcy said earlier, my name is Kate Osborne. I go by Katie Osaurus on all corners of the internet. Um, you can find me when I'm not languishing of a sinus infection. Um, you can find me on TikTok. I would love it if you came over and you found me on YouTube because I'm sort of transitioning off of TikTok onto YouTube. We're going to do more long form videos. You can also find me on Twitch. You can find me on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram if you want pictures of my dog. That's pretty much all you're going to get over there. Um, <laughs> Um, and if you like listening to me talk about ADHD and you would like to do that more, um, you can listen to my podcast. It's called Katie and Eric's Infinite Quest and ADHD Adventure. We're a top 50 mental health podcast. We talk about life with depression and ADHD and navigating life as neurodivergent adults. And sometimes we play TTRPGs because that's the other thing that I do that we didn't talk about at all is I play a lot of Dungeons and Dragons because I, saying this on the record, am very cool. <laughs> I think you're cool. So that works perfectly. I actually yeah, was yeah, going yeah. to get to the whole like nerd space, but then I was like, eh, maybe not. I don't want to turn off the regular Kentuckians who don't do that. I guess, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much again. I appreciate yeah. it. This was a great conversation. I hope you feel better fast. Oh, thank you. I really appreciate it.